Off Day Podcast. Give me a chest ball. <laughs> with Andy Hart. That's a really interesting point. Andy. This microphone week. put up a little less fight than the one last night. <laughs> no, I think I said that, Andy. And Ryan Hannibal. What's your name again? <laughs> Hannibal. Hannibal. Mister. Dot Commer on Weei.com. Fresh off a forty-three to nothing win, here is another episode of the Off Day Podcast, breaking down the game, instant reactions. Uh, there really wasn't much to really break down from, from this game today. Um, the game was pretty much over. I guess it took longer than expected, but once the Patriots poured it on, they certainly poured it on quick. Um, Andy, what uh, what were your takeaways from watching the game, and, and what stood out in your mind? Well, obviously, most people jump to the Antonio Brown uh, debut and production early and three uh, targets on the first drive, the only guy targeted. I'm going to go the other side of the football. We were wondering all summer if we were overhyping the defense, if the talk of all the depth and versatility it had, uh, we were not overhyping anything. Uh, They were dominant in Miami, and this is now three straight games, the last three times they've taken the field. in real games, not preseason, obviously, yep. where they haven't allowed a touchdown. First time in franchise history. It's tremendous. And a shutout, um, first shutout since they shut out Houston a few years ago, and first shutout on the road for even longer than that. And you just look at it, and they're making plays on the ball. And I know they got lucky. There were some tips and yeah. deflected balls and pick sixes, but you know they also made their luck. I mean, the, the uh, Dolphins had three plays on what was it seven of their first eight drives they weren't all three and outs there was an interception there but didn't have any more than three plays um 38 yards i believe in the third quarter it was just some of the numbers were silly and they only ran one play in patriots territory and territory in the first three quarters and that was resulted in a sack they were just really dominant you're right it was silly like the coverage was great the rush was great the run stuffing was great. They had big guys on the field. They did their job. When they brought the little guys in, they did their job. You know, Jamie Collins is a guy I highlighted on WEI.com for my thumbs up. You know, he obviously had the pick six. He obviously finished the game with a, a pick, but he also had a tackle for a loss to start the game. He had a half a sack. He was sort of what you think of when you think of Jamie Collins. He can play the run. He can rush the passer. He can play in coverage. He did all of that against the Dolphins. And, he was just one of a million guys. I mean, you could highlight uh, certainly Stefan Gilmore. Everybody wanted him a year ago at this time. They wanted to declare him a truly elite corner. I thought later in the season he became that. This year in September, he's a truly elite corner. He is an absolute stud right now. Devontae Parker, no catchers on, I believe, seven targets. And Gilmore was on him for a, a good amount of those, I think. And you're right, yeah, from from top to bottom in the defense, that they played very, very well. And it's just, they can do everything. They, they can get after the passer from up the middle, from the outside. Linebackers, linebackers can do different things. Cornerback, same thing. We saw Jonathan Jones playing some safety. I don't know if, if they want to move him around more in the defense. But they can just, they're so versatile and they can play against any team on every week and so you're right I, I do think that they're showing that the hype they got this summer was warranted and you look at guy you know Dietrich Wise is a healthy scratch he's inactive Michael Bennett is sort of a situational sub guy Landon Roberts a guy who started for them the last two or three years is a rotational guy they just have a lot of bodies that they can run out there and certainly in a place like Miami where it's 90 degrees and it's humid and hot and the sun's out that's even more of a benefit, but it's also a benefit just long-term in terms of 
matchups. You know, Joan Williams, healthy scratch. He will play a factor for this defense at some point, I think. So just the, the overall depth of the defense and the ability. And the thing I really liked is Devin McCourty postgame talking about the defense and how good it can be. And he brought up what they're focused on is in the past we've had good games. Now we want to string them together. Week in and week out, do the exact same thing. Prepare the same way. I think he said fill the bucket or fill it up. Go to the game, execute, play selfless football. And I think that's what they're doing. Like they're just playing consistently good football. It's not, okay, we can pitch a shutout this week and then the next week we're struggling. They're starting to string together dominance here. And we know that's hard to do in the modern NFL. And I know the Dolphins absolutely stink. I mean, they made some of the most horrific mistakes and the drops. Who was it? Was what, what, what running back was it that ducked on a screen pass that was Tim? That was that summed up the whole game. Oh yeah, yeah. A pass headed towards him and he ducks out of the way instead of trying to catch it. It was it was embarrassing. Certainly the pick six for Jamie Collins was a gift of all gifts. Um, so I, I don't want to go overboard because of this game, but to me it's not just the this game. It's it's stringing. Oh, yeah, it's back building to off last of last year. week too. Well, not just last week, last year. Yes. There are a lot of these guys are the same players. They've add, Obviously, Trey Flowers was their big money, big guy that they lose, but they're adding some of these guys, Jamie Collins, uh, to the mix. And, and I think I think the sky is the limit. I know we use that term in sports. That's what Jerron Harmon said after the game. The sky is the limit for this defense. And you're right. He said sort of the same things about McCourty, where he wasn't getting overly hyped. But I think that they know how good they can be. And it just really comes down to them, like – McCordy said, string them together each week, perform to their capability each and every week, because they, they have the talent for sure. And they're going to have the chance to build the momentum. It goes from the Dolphins to Trevor Simeon and the New York Jets, not even Sam Darnold. And then you get into you know Josh Allen in Buffalo, who's playing well, sure, right yep. now, but he's still a young guy who is prone to turnovers and interceptions. Washington after that, they're terrible. Right, they're going to be able to build some momentum. The Jets after that again, and they're terrible. Right, then they get to, you know, the Browns and the Chiefs and the Eagles and the Cowboys, teams with more weapons, more, you know, potential to make you look bad. But by that time, they may have so much confidence and they may be playing so well that, you know, then they're ready to dominate those matchups. Who knows? So this, uh, you know, I mocked Paul Perillo, my former co-worker, when he brought up 2004 uh, in the preseason. But this defense is showing that they... They're legit. They're something to be taken very, very seriously as this season wears on. And I give them credit for overshadowing what has really been the story of sports. You know, this Antonio Brown, Raiders, Patriots, lawsuit, everything. Antonio Brown came out, caught three passes, caught a touchdown, you know, was an impact playmaker right out the gates. And the defense was so good that it kind of overshadowed that. That's what I wrote. Today, when you read Monday morning on WWE.com, that the Patriots' defense was the story of the game. Not Antonio Brown. The Patriots' defense was, and it was that impressive of a performance that allowed it to be the story over a guy that had, you know, CNN at the game, Inside Edition, all these non-football outlets there because of the story that is Antonio Brown, but still the defense just was that good and, you know, put forth that good of a performance that, like you said, they were the story of the game. And from the Antonio Brown perspective, I think we saw the good and the bad in a lot of ways, actually. We saw the good in terms of he can make plays. He was wide open on his first catch, second snap of the game, zone coverage over the middle. He was basically uncovered. 
Um, nice back shoulder type adjustment on the touchdown, 20 yards out from Brady, who clearly had confidence in him to throw that. But then later in the game, you saw there was another throw to the corner of the end zone where he turned inside, the ball went outside. Then there was another throw where, I don't know if it was just underthrown, a terrible throw from Brady. Based on his reaction, it kind of looked like The one that. in the end zone? To the left side. Yeah, I think Brady, Brady admitted that was, he sort of pointed to his chest. I think that was him acknowledging yeah. that it was underthrown. Um, but I'm going to be sneaky negative here. Okay. And like it. I don't know if, if you noticed this, but there were a number of times where Antonio Brown, two or three times, turned back and threw his hands up like, what are we doing? And I don't think he was looking for a call every time on the, the referees. I think he was already doing that towards Tom Brady. And that's something to keep hmm. an eye on. Because if he has the balls to question a Brady throw in his debut, in his third team in less than whatever it is, eight months, and and all that, then then this is something to keep an eye on. Because I thought he was not – I thought he was sort of saying, Brady, what are we doing here? Like, I, so see, supposed to be the GOAT. I noticed the same thing, but I, I sort of just took it as he was complaining for a non-flag. But that's something to maybe – I'm not going to steal, you know, a, a – the, the the football nerds and watch the all twenty twos, but I guess maybe that's something to go back and look at to see yep. you know exactly what he was doing on those plays because he definitely did do it. And I just thought you know watching the game live, he was doing it more towards referees, but that certainly is possible because we saw him do it in Pittsburgh, and that's certainly capable of him. But like you said, that's sort of a bold move to do in your debut with the Patriots when you know Tom Brady's Tom Brady. It sort of surprised me, but in a way, it doesn't surprise me because I don't. He doesn't look at the world the way 99.9999% of the population does. He thinks he is a GOAT as well. He thinks he's every bit as good. He has that chip on his shoulder, six-round pick, the whole thing like Brady. So I don't think he looks at the God and bows down. If there's a bad throw, he's going to put his hands up and be like, what the bleeps? That was a bad throw. He did it to Roethlisberger. I think he'll do it to Brady. So I'm not saying it's a big deal. I don't think he's any bad apology. He's only trying to drum up, blah, 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 blah. Just keep an eye on it because I think that's who he is. I He literally doesn't give an F, in my opinion, for anybody. I think he'll go at it with Bill at some point on the sideline or Josh McDaniels because I think that's who Antonio Brown is. That's just his confidence, his personality, his swagger, whatever you want to call it. That's him. Um, so it surprised me, but in some sense it doesn't surprise me. While we're on that topic, I guess one of the other bi- – Bigger stories was the report earlier in the day, Sunday, from Ian Rapport saying that the Patriots or Robert Kraft would not have signed off on the signing of Antonio Brown if he had knew about the alleged assault charges lawsuit against Antonio Brown. Obviously, the Patriots, you know, no, that wasn't out there when the signing was made, but. On the sideline before the game, the Rosenhouses, the Crafts were seen talking for probably five or so minutes. Robert did a lot of the talking from what I observed. It ended with them shaking hands. So, you know, with Antonio Brown playing in the game today, it seems like the Patriots are sort of backing him. But it does raise the question, were, you know, Robert Kraft and the Patriots okay, like, with this signing? Are they on board with everything that's happened? Are they? Do they have Antonio Brown's back? So, could that NFL Network report have been any more convenient for Robert Kraft? Certainly couldn't have been. No. That was as convenient as possible. Almost like it was, I don't know, fed to NFL Network, (laughs) planted by NFL Network. Almost like they're carrying his water. Because I would ask you a simple question. All we heard this week was that the contract language that Antonio Brown and the Patriots have 
they could get out of the guaranteed money, right? They haven't even made the first payment. They can get out of it if they wanted to, correct? Correct. So then why don't they just get out of it? Well, that's sort of my take on the whole thing after seeing the report is if Robert was so serious about what he said, why what's stopping him from walking down to Bill Belichick's office and saying, Bill, we're not playing this guy until this investigation is you know done with? Like, if he really Nothing. felt that strongly, why didn't he do that? Nothing. And let's be honest. We have our own report, our own Dale Arnold reported that he had a source within the Patriots that said the Patriots were well aware that this lawsuit could be coming, would be coming, and they don't believe it is um, believable or valid. That sort of makes sense, too, with the whole relationship with Rosenhaus. Like, if they do have that relationship, like everybody says, and Rosenhaus said last week he knew that this lawsuit was potentially coming, so maybe he did give the Patriots heads up and say, look, this could be coming, but my client and Antonio Brown claims his innocence, and this is what you're getting. And sure, it's probably, it, it could have happened that way, and the Patriots believe Rosenhaus, and obviously they don't want to have that PR that they're going to take on a guy with these allegations, but if everything's true, that he, you know, is this is a money grab like they're claiming, then they are going to take their chances with him. It just looks bad from the outside, and now they're trying to cover themselves. Right. I don't, I'm not always a company guy, but I have no reason to believe that Dale has misinformation here. I have reason to believe to trust Dale and his source. If he trusts him, I'm going to trust him because I do have plenty of reasons in the past to not believe crapsheet Ian Rappaport and some of the things he reports. I understand what he does. He's an information guy. He basically just passes along anything that's given to him. But there's been things given to him that aren't accurate, and I have questions about this one. So the bottom line is... They could have gotten rid of Antonio Brown at any time, right? They did. Yep. They put him on the field. They threw the ball to him. They clearly are moving forward with the idea that he is going to be a focal point of the offense. Because we also got reports that we got some more details about these reported discussions that Antonio Brown had with his accuser, Britton Taylor, that there was a deadline as of Sunday, I believe the report was, yep. that $2 million potential settlement that Antonio Brown refused to sign off on. And that's why the civil suit came. So, you know, there's a lot going on here. Um, She's going to meet with the NFL Monday. So more could be coming out this week, early this week. It's going to be interesting, but I still still think this is going to go away. I don't think this ever goes to court. Uh, I don't know if she just pulls the lawsuit. I don't know exactly how this plays out. Um, but I'm very dubious of this whole thing. Would you agree that the, the Patriots playing him in this game today sort of indicates that they are like all in with him and they have his back? To some degree, yeah. yeah. I, I, they're all in for now. I, that can change at any minute based on information. Uh, my former boss used to say, you know, when you change your mind because conditions on the ground change. Like in a war, yep. conditions on the ground change, you change your plan of attack. Um, so I think it could change, but yeah. Now, I always thought it was a little overrated that if he played this week, you couldn't cut him afterwards or it was a, a worse look. You can play him, and if you have more information, and certainly they'll be able to play their PR game and paint the paint the picture the way they want it painted if they have to move on from him at some point. Oh, we didn't know, and this is new information, and we would have never had him had we known this information, whatever. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal that he went out there and caught four passes for 56 yards and a touchdown. Mm. It's on tape. There's pictures. And who cares? You signed him already. Right. You got in the bed with him. So I just, uh, I, they'll move on. People will forget. If they have to cut him in two weeks, people will move on and forget. And it'll just be a part of the history of the Patriots. And people that hate the Patriots, people that want to rip them and take cheap shots, have plenty of ammo with or without Antonio Brown. They always have. They always will. They're not going to change their minds. 
on the field. He seemed to be, he played, I think, 25 or so snaps. Mike Reese and Nick Underhill had. So he was sort of, I guess, the number four receiver. We'll have to look at the exact numbers when they come up. But Edelman was obviously one, Gordon two. Dorsett might have played more snaps, but obviously on the depth chart, Brown has, has jumped him. But I think the encouraging thing was Dorsett was able to make the most of his opportunities. And if he's still able to do that, you know, on a consistent basis, he still has a role on this team to sort of come in on third down and make these big plays. He had the big one, third and 17, picked up 18 yards. He's caught 23 straight passes thrown his way dating back to last year. So if he makes the most of his opportunities, I still think there's a role for Philip Dorsett on this roster, even with Antonio Brown now in the picture. No question. I thought that third down catch was just a great play. Uh, one of the better plays he's made in his career as a Patriot. I think over the last two weeks, he's played better than he has at almost any time as his, in his career in New England. He's made key plays for this team to help it not win games, I guess, because they're blowing everybody out at this point through two weeks. But he's played really well, better than I, more of a playmaker, not just catching balls and falling down for six yards, actually making plays. And I think... The, the role I'm envisioning him becoming, and this may predate you a little, so you may not totally get the comparison, but Jabari Gaffney. Jabari Gaffney. They're not that young. Jeez. I don't know. It's an insult. I don't know. But uh, Jabari Gaffney would find a way to come in in the third quarter of a tight game and on third down and whatever, make a big play. And, you know, you're not going to get seven, eight, ten targets a game. You might only get two, three, four. But some of them are going to be in key spots, and you can be a key contributor by making those plays at those times. So I think that's what he becomes, because if Antonio Brown is here and Josh Gordon is here and Julian Edelman is here, those are your top three receivers. There's a lot of targets going in that direction. I mean, quite frankly, Josh Gordon didn't have a great day. Nope. You know, in the first half, the only incompletions he had were targeting Josh Gordon. Yep. And Josh Gordon got called for a pick. Um, that's one sneaky negative. The the efficiency of the offense in terms of a couple of penalties on pick plays, there's some room to clean that up. But, you know, that's going to be the core of your offense. And you're going to have to rely on, on Dorsett to just make those timely plays. But the more you throw to him, the more you realize I think he's capable of doing that when he needs to do that. And he'll be a, he'll be a complimentary weapon that'll help you. The other major story that got her, not not story, but something that happened in the game that wasn't talked about much because of everything else that happened was Isaiah Wynn going out with a foot injury in the first half, not returning, no injury update as of now. But they had to do some shuffling around the offensive line, especially with Marcus Cannon not playing. And I thought that, you know, you faced a Dolphins team that wasn't very good, but I thought the offensive line did a decent job filling in with backups playing both tackles. Yeah, it was funny. The, some of the pressures I saw looked like Shaq Mason was part of the problem. I thought he had a year. tough day. Tough two games, actually. He, he, he's your best offensive lineman, theoretically, at this point. Your highest paid. You just gave him a contract. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting. I thought um, we were negative a week ago about the shotgun snaps floating up there. I thought Ted Karras's shotgun snaps were much better today. Yep. They weren't. I wouldn't say they were rockets getting back there. No, they, um, were not ro- they weren't Roger Clemens fastballs, but they, were, but they, had a they weren't balloons. Water. Right. They didn't float. They didn't force Brady to kind of lean forward and go get them. They actually made it to Brady. So I thought that was a, a step in the nice, nice right direction. Excuse me. But, um, yeah, you're leaning right now on guys that Corey Cunningham this week <laughs> arrived two weeks ago. Marshall Newhouse. You, you had two tackles who were one arrived this week and one arrived just before week one. So those and they flip flopped them, right? They, yep. 
originally they brought in uh, Newhouse at right tackle because yep. that's where I mean he started there for Cannon, and then um, you bring in Cunningham, and then they decided to flip it. And both of them had their issues. I think for sure at one point they both gave up some pressures. I, I don't feel great about it if that's your tackles for an extended period of time. Uh, moving forward, that, but that's Cannon going through his pregame warrant today was a good good sign that he's probably not going to be out long term. Like it might be one more week if if it is at all. But him being out in the field for a pregame warrant was a a good sign for sure. When you, yeah, you don't know about my concern there is he rushes to get back. You activate him, he starts. Yep. Oh, he can't go. He re-injures it, and now all of a sudden you're a little thin at tackle and all of a sudden there's moving guys around. So I think the tackle position is a major concern right now, major, major concern. And if there's anything that like, we're talking about so many positives, the, the weapons on offense and the defense and the domination, if there's anything that ever derails a good football team or a great football team, if you have a lot of issues on the offensive line, we've seen it over the years. And the scary thing is, They've already scrambled to bring these guys in, right? You make two trades right, right. before, you know, the season Three starts. trades if you include Russ Bodine. Oh, Russ Bodine, who didn't even last. That's right. I forgot about him. Uh, and then you make another deal um, to sign Newhouse this week because of the cannon injury. He comes right in. He's playing. So we. I know we all have endless faith in Dante Scarnecchia, but he's also a big believer in continuity. And right now you have... You're hoping you're crossing your fingers to get to continuity at some point um, because they are they are scrambling up front. Not really much else to dive into. I mean, this game was pretty much over. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What else do you got? Um, the two greatest kickers in New England Patriots. Oh, yes. Two of the top three. One is sucking in Indianapolis and reportedly going to uh, announce his retirement. Although the Colts, I thought I saw they're trying to talk him out of it. Yeah, they're trying to talk him out of it, but I don't know if he wants to be talked out of it at this yep. point because he stinks. Um, Steven Gostowski not supposed to be announcing his retirement, but he stunk <laughs> in Miami. I believe that's – he said he sucked. He yep. said he stunk. Terrible day. Kevin Duffy um, got it. Got that exclusive interview on his last day at the Herald. Nice. Yes. Uh, missed two PATs, missed a field goal. Um, just looked bad, by the way. Couldn't Do you think it's too. it's mental with him? Like it oh, just it just snowballs and like maybe he missed one because maybe Bailey Jake Bailey missed a hole and then it just snowballs where he's you know thinking too much. Yeah, the more he thinks, the worse he is. And we've always known he's sort of um, a little bit of a head case, like so many of these guys are the, the kickers or golfers and their putting and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, maybe I, I didn't get really any good replays um, of the holds, so it's hard to say. There was no obvious laces like we saw in the preseason. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a good hold for the way he wants it in terms of leaning towards him, leaning away, whatever. The it seems like for as good of a kicker that he is, he needs everything to be perfect and go exactly yep. how he he expects it every single time. Like like any you know thing that goes even a centimeter off track is going to derail the whole operation. No question. Um, it's one of the great stories, untold stories of the time, is he's been – one of the better kickers in the NFL and on the dominant team in the NFL for as long as he has. And he's not that just, you know, can go out there in any condition, kick the ball, just give me my chance and I'll do it for you. He's the exact opposite. And now but what do you do? You, you can't bring in another kicker because I feel like that would be, no. that would go right to his head and you, that would make things even worse. You sort of nope. just got to ride it out. You have to ride it out, and you just hope he straightens it out. And Because I think he goes the other way, too. 
I think he gets some swagger to him when he starts hitting kicks. Yep. You know, if he if he can hit like a fifty two yarder, and then all of a sudden be like, okay, I'm back, and then it's you know forty threes become easy, forty fives become easy. He starts to believe in himself because right now he's questioning himself. There's no doubt. Um, he's probably he's questioning the whole operation with the holder. Yes. Yeah. He's questioning the hold. He doesn't have the confidence. The three amigos have changed. It's it's he and Cardona trying to work in a new buddy. Um, so yeah, there there's there's not a lot you can do because oh by the way, who are you going to replace him with? Right. You know, other teams. There's been so many struggles, whether it's Jets or the Bears, all these teams that have gone through you know open tryouts and kicker issues. You don't. You'd be moving. He would be snapped up by somebody immediately. As well, their for kicker. sure. So it's you, you got to work through it, and you hope you work through it in time. You know, maybe that tight stretch of you know games where where you're actually going to be in competitive battles. Well, as I was going to say, fortunately, their schedule is soft coming up. That they're right. going to be games like this where you can have those games to build confidence in. Where when you know games against the Chiefs and the Cowboys and the Browns, those games matter, and he could be in one of those good runs when that when those stretch of games come around. And maybe you get a chance at the end of the half or the end of the game in one of these others where he can try a meaningless fifty-plus yarder. Because, you know, there's only three seconds left in the second quarter and he nails it and maybe that's what, you know, jumps his confidence. But you're going to have to work through it. There really is no answer other than work through it. That That's the bottom line. Uh, speaking of working through it, um, I enjoyed Bill Belichick working through a full 60 minute game because that's clearly what he asked his team to play after the Miami Miracle a year ago which meant that he had to have Tom Brady on the field in a 40-plus point game with four minutes to go. Throwing 30-yard fade routes to Rex Burkhead, yes. I, thought, I, don't know, I don't know what to make of that. Well, he, was, was it a full 60 minutes or was it a shot at Brian Flores that you floated earlier last week on the podcast? No, I, I, think, it, I think it was a full 60 minutes. I, I believe what he said, but I think it's stupid, quite frankly. Yeah. You're going to risk your entire season. You're going to waste reps you could get for Jared Stidham. Yeah, it wasn't even like he had Brady in the game handing the ball off to Rex Burkett on dive plays. It was putting himself back in the pocket with two, you know, new tackles throwing fade passes to Rex Burkhead. Yep. No, they want to replicate 2007 again, just like when they were blowing teams out, running the score up back then. The famous quote back then was, what do you want us to do, kick a field goal? Yeah. When he was going for touchdowns late in games, putting up 40-plus points on people. I think it's the same thing. They're in blowout mode. They are in domination mode. They're ready to take on the world. I think maybe that's some of that is the Antonio Brown thing. Yep. It's us versus the world. Everybody hates us. We're the bad guys. We're the dirty team. They're just going to embrace it and go for it. Um, I don't like it. I think it's stupid in, in terms of having Brady out there and throwing the ball and throwing it to Edelman, throwing it to Burkhead. Two guys that have a history of getting hurt, you know, have issues with injuries. Two guys that, by the way, Burkhead is playing phenomenal football. Looks really good, really good. Really good. Lots of sharp cuts, explosive, something that we really haven't seen from him. I think today he may have even saved a flea flicker. Um, He made a jump cut to the left because there was a guy in the backfield when I think he was supposed to toss it back to Tom Brady for a flea flicker, but um, he's just playing great football, and you're throwing to him and Edelman, um, trying to get them hurt late in the game. I just... I know he believes you got to finish, and I just maybe, you know, he's the greatest coach of all time. He wins more than anybody, so maybe it's true. But guess what? I think he could win just as much by putting Jared Stidham in for three minutes to hand the ball off and run the game out. All right, so there'll be plenty of breakdown this week. 
going into week three against the Jets at home. We'll be back on Wednesday, most likely recording the a lengthier edition of the podcast, hitting on a bunch of other topics. Antonio Brown will probably still be a major topic with everything happening this week. Follow us on Twitter, off the Off Day Pod, as we hope to build our Off Day Pod. We hope. Sorry, Off Day Pod, as we hope to build that following up. And follow us on, yes, iTunes, leave reviews, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Um, Just listen. Most importantly, just listen. That's all. What you're doing right now is what we really need you to do. Just listen. Listen.